This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Wrath is used 36 times in the New Testament. And where does the wrath of God come from? From heaven. It says there in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, because that's where it comes from. And who is the wrath of God against? Again in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. For us to fully understand the grace of God, we must understand the wrath of God as well. Pastor Eddie tells us today that the wrath of God is no laughing matter. Our God offers us grace through Christ, but His wrath is required in order to fulfill justice. He offers many opportunities for us to receive His grace, but a point of no return will eventually arrive for all. Accept God's grace through His Son Jesus Christ and receive eternal life with Him. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie as he begins his message. Verse 24, Romans chapter 1, it says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which, is, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve those who practice them. Paul continues to write, and at the end of chapter 1, seems to be, um, you know, okay, Paul, we got the message. (laughs) It just seems like, oh, wrath, legalism, but we know that we opened up the book of Romans with chapter 1, the first, uh, you know, the last three parts. This is our fourth part of chapter 1. It opened up with the theme of grace, of grace. If you begin the chapter, if you have not been here for the previous studies, please, we have it available. But 
read it and you see the grace of God. Because the theme of the book of Romans is grace. And we can see it's all summed up into two verses. In verses 17 and 18 of chapter 1. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote to us about the grace of God in chapters, in verses 1 through 17. In verses 1 through 17, we see that Paul wrote about the grace of God. And now he begins to write about the wrath of God from verses 18 to 32. So we, we would ask Paul, you know, why is he writing about the wrath of God if the theme of the book, it's about the grace of God? And that is because whenever for us to fully understand the grace of God, we, we will not understand the grace of God until we fully understand the wrath of God. How we know how graceful God is and what is grace if we don't understand the wrath of God. And I kind of brought that illustration last time in our study. You know, my father, you know, uh, no, I knew, knew that I blew it big time. <laughs> and my father has punished, punished me and disciplined me for lesser things. But there was one that I said, you know what? My, I'm going to get it when my father gets home. And when my father get, you know, just came home, my heart was beating a, a mile a minute. You know? And I said, here it is. I'm done. I'm death. I'm saying my prayers. Lord, you know, take me home. <laughs> and my father just says, don't do that again. And I was like, really? And it was then I realized it was his grace. It was his grace. And that's how it is with God, is his grace. You will not understand the grace of God until you understand the wrath of God. And so Paul, he begins, and that's, that's a good thing. He begins with grace. You know? Um, you know, you ever heard how to compliment someone? You know, you want to give constructive criticism. You know, you, you know as, as a boss, a leader, or a manager, and I've been there, and I say, you know, you're great. You do really good. Because, you, you, you know, it's just one thing. And, you know, just one thing. They say, well, you know, you, you have this habit of doing this, and you do this wrong, and you're afraid they might get offended. But, you know, there are a lot of things that he do. So they do the sandwich, you know, good, constructive criticism. And then again, at the end, you're the best, you know? And so uh, I, I think this is what we learned that from how God is. You know, we share with love, and that's what we're going to do. That's what the scripture does. It shares all these things because of God's grace and God's love. And so we, the word wrath is used 36 times in the New Testament. And where does the wrath of God come from? From heaven, it says there in verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, because that's where it comes from. And who is the wrath of God against? Again, in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. Ungodliness, again, is man violating his relationship with God. It's a vertical relationship. Ungodliness is sin against God. The first four of the Ten Commandments has to deal with God. It's on one tablet. The other tablet of stone, it has to deal with man's relationship. Unrighteousness, man violated the relationship with man. So it is a vertical unrighteousness, it's a vertical unrighteousness, it's a ungodliness, and it's a, a, a horizontal unrighteousness towards man. And we see that. And so in verses 1 through 17, we see God's grace. We see God's good news. What's the gospel? It's the gospel. The gospel means good news. That's good news. However, verses 18 to 32 is not, is not good news. It is bad news. It is the truth. And so often, now when we share the gospel, we share the good news. Just as Paul began talking about the grace of God. 
We're not going to go out there into the world and start giving them the wrath of God. Oh, if you don't change your life, you're going to hell. You know, that, that's truth. But that is not the good news. The good news is, yes, they're going to go to hell. But the good news is that through Jesus Christ, who saves us from what? The wrath of God. That's the good news. And so we share the good news. And so now there is one thing that there is in common between the first half of Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and the second half of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. One thing they do have in common is this, God. God. In this one chapter alone, the word God is mentioned 22 times in just one chapter. And it's divided into those two because God is a God of grace, good news, hope, eternal plan to be with Christ, to be with God forever. But here's the other thing, is the wrath of God. And that's for those who reject Jesus Christ. Now, remember, uh, when we began uh, our uh, part three, uh, you know, Paul, I told you that Paul has taken us into God's courtroom. What Paul's going to do, he's going to prove without the shadow of a doubt, with all the evidence that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And so he already in the first, in, in the last study, he proved that, you know, God created all things and that we have degraded ourselves to making man as God, then uh, the birds in the air, and it went down from, from the birds in the air all the way down to four-legged Animals, all the way down to creeping things. From God to man to birds, four-legged animals and creeping things. So we're not, instead of us trying to, you know, seek the Lord and be and acknowledge him, we have degraded ourselves because we don't want God. And so Paul is in the courtroom, and he's going to bring to the witness stands the depraved Gentile. That's the first part, the depraved Gentile. And so we continue our study this morning in verse 24. Now, verse 24 begins with a word, and if you students, you've been around for a while, you know what the word therefore, you need to understand. When we come to that word, therefore, we need to ask ourselves, what is it there for? Therefore what? What is it there for? Therefore, because of the previous things Paul has mentioned, therefore, because ungodliness and unrighteousness in verse 18, therefore, because they suppressed the truth, also verse 18, therefore, because they knew God and they did not glorify him as God, verse 21, therefore, because they changed the glory of incorruptible God into the image made like man, birds, four-footed animals, and creepy things, and here it is, therefore, God also gave them up, verse 24. Therefore, God has given them, why? Because of the things we just mentioned. And so God gave them up. In other words, God abandoned them. And this is, this is God's wrath begins by abandonment. That is a form of God's wrath, abandonment. As they deserted God, did not acknowledge God. Instead, they put man in place of God. Instead, they have put birds, four-footed animals, and creepy things as God. They deserted God. God gave all the opportunity, all the evidence. He said, all of creation testify of his glory. 
And if they have never been shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we talked about before, remember the man in the jungle, in some foreign place that where he cannot be reached by civilization. So someone could go out and reach and tell them about the gospel. Read about that man in the jungle that everybody's always concerned about. The Bible says they are left without excuse. And so all of these things have been proven that God does exist. In other words, God is going to allow sin to run its course as an act of judgment. Three times we're going to see that God gave them up in this last half of uh, uh, chapter 1. Three times. Here in verse 24, it says God also gave them up. In verse 26, God gave them over. In verse 28, God gave them up. Three times God has given them up. When then man said there is no God, when man has changed the glory of incorruptible God into the image like man, what happens? Man has elevated man to a place of God. They have replaced God with man being God. And what does that do? What does that do to a society? What does that do for the human race? It's dangerous. What that does, it allows you to do. If you have a man as your God, it allows you to do whatever you want to do and not what God wants you to do. We see it in the political realm. Man has voted into office one who will pass into legislation the sins that they want to practice. And so now we vote one into because that's everybody's right. Everybody has a free will. Yes, they do. And so we want to put someone to office that would allow us to live our lives contrary to the way God has designed us and created us to live. And so we will vote that individual into office. And it's sad. And it's sad that we do that. It's because we have rejected God in his ways. It's after to say we know better than God. Or this certain person that we are voting for knows better than God. But that person is going to make it possible for me to sin against God because I want to do what I want to do. We have made legal what God considers illegal. We have made legal with the things that God has called an abomination. We have made legal so many things that is contrary to God and his ways. They'll say, God is not my God. So that's why I vote for this individual who will give me the freedom to live my life my own way in violation to God and man. And so God would give them up, allowing them to continue in their sins. And he had let, no way he's going to let their sinful nature take its course. So they could see that it's impossible to live without God. So they could see that we were designed and created to live for God. It's impossible for man to live life, to even breathe without God. It's impossible. God is full of grace. God is full of mercy. And God is very patient and long-suffering for all who choose to 
exclude God from their lives and their ways. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is long-suffering. He is patient. There is no one, when we get to heaven, no one's going to say, well, Lord, how come you didn't have patience on me? When they go down, they have to stand before the judgment seat of God. Lord, you didn't give me time. The Lord is patient and long-suffering towards us, not willing that we should perish. Because the Lord knows, first of all, he loves us, that he's given us and gives us the patience. He is long-suffering. And because he's long-suffering, he, with his love, he wants to be with us so badly that he went to the cross. That's his love. And he's going to have patience because he wants to be with us. He wants to be with man. And it's just patient. However, there is a point where God will give them up and let them go. And what did God give them up to? Let us continue to read that verse. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. The Lord gave them up to dishonor their own bodies. How? In the lust of their heart. And how is that? Sexual immorality. And that is sex outside marriage. We live in a culture, we live in a world where it is totally acceptable to the point where we're so immune to it. And it's sad. I don't know if you ever heard of the study with the frog in a pot of water. You put a frog in a pot of water. This is scientifically not that I've done it. So I don't want no animal rights against me or anything. I've never done this. Maybe dissect a frog when I was in high school. But if you put a frog into a bowl of water, a pot of water, you just leave them there and you just put up the volume, uh, raise up the temperature on the stove. It won't have enough. It gets so accustomed to its atmosphere, its temperature in that uh, uh, the pot of water that it continues, even when it boils, to the point where it boils to death. And it's dangerous when we take things and we consider things the norm and we continue to reject God to live in that life. Sex within a marriage is a holy gift from God that even couples today who are married consider it, oh, it's embarrassing. No, it's beautiful. It's, God has created that between a man and a woman But sex outside of marriage dishonors the body and it is a sin before God. And so we have adopted this so much that those who save themselves for marriage are considered crazy or squares, you know, or not cool. Then we wonder why there are so many distractions so many who are destroyed emotionally, broken families, children without fathers, because they never made the commitment. That piece of paper, oh, it's just a piece of paper. But you mean to tell me, you're holding your complete commitment because of a piece of paper? A piece of paper is holding you for being totally committed to your spouse. And now we have children without, without fathers because they figured the paper didn't hold me back. And then we have all kinds of disease. This is the the repercussions of one living in that life. 
or world living in that life. As believers in Christ, we are to keep our lives, uh, our bodies pure before God. First Corinthians, and there are many, but we're not going to just stay here. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 says, Food uh, for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for God and the Lord for the body. Your body is a living temple. God dwells in your heart. How can we live in that life? Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Not a lie, but the original lie. And what is that lie, that particular specific lie that is inspired by uh, Paul, was inspired by the Holy Spirit that he writes here. And it goes back to the Garden of Eden in chapter 3 when Satan tells uh, the serpent, talks to Eve and says, for God knows that in that day if you eat of their eyes will be open and you will be like God. That is the lie. That is the lie which essentially is idolatry, which puts, puts us in a place of God. And it is the lie. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The truth of God is revealed through his creation, through his creatures. However, man has chosen to worship the creature rather than the creator. And just like the Egyptians, they worship creatures. All their gods were creatures. When God judged them, God judged them against their gods. All ten plagues was about their gods. All the gods they worship. And so man has got to the point where now they are worshiping the creature, the birds, the four-footed animals and creeping things. I love what Chuck Smith said once. If you tell your kids they came from animals, don't be surprised if they start acting like them. And it's the truth. This is the reason why so many uh, our culture and our, and our people are, are so destroyed. We don't know where we came from or where we're going. That's what's taught in the schools. But thanks be to Jesus, we have the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that is the truth, Jesus Christ himself. Because Jesus, in his word, gives us the beginning. And he tells us even why he created us, because he loves us. And he gives us the end. And he tells us why he gives us the end, because he loves us too. And it's all through the scriptures. You know, it's sad that someone had forwarded me years ago um, a YouTube video. And it's still there if you want to go home. Uh, look at a group who worship trees, and it, it's called Extreme Tree Huggers. Yeah, you know, it is crazy. It really is. And it's, it's, it's funny, but I say that lightly because it is sad. The Book of Romans gives us a unique review of scriptural doctrine. As we continue to learn from this New Testament book, we'll also discover the gospel's powerful message throughout and discover practical life application with it as well. We pray Eddie's message on running the race has been an encouragement to you and that you're eager to learn more about the gospel message and how it applies to you. We'd like you to know that we pray for you regularly here at Running the Race, and we're so glad that you are one of our listeners. 
We'd also like to encourage you to find a local church where you can be part of a community that's growing together in faith. With that in mind, here's Tracy. Maybe you're listening right now in Milford, Pennsylvania, and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. For more information, call us at 570-296-7367. That's 570-296-7367. Or log on to runningtheraceradio.com and click on Service Times. Thanks, Tracy. That website, once again, is runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to more messages by Eddie or download them to take with you on the go. That's all we have for today, but join us again for more on the Book of Romans right here on Running the Race. I'm